great way to start a show. It kind of gives you a feeling like you're out and about and listening to this amazing band play. That was the Field Stones off of um, an amazing soundtrack that goes with uh, the book that we're going to be discussing today, Memphis Rent Party, by Robert Gordon. And Robert Gordon's in the studio along with my co-host, Spencer Drake. And uh, we're going to be talking today to Robert a little bit about his book and, uh, you know, if you haven't read this book or you want to get a good read, especially during this time that we all have being home and uh, doing other things, you can read this incredible book. It's got great stories in it. And if you really are in the mood for a really great music, um, you know, you need to check out uh, Memphis Rent Party, the soundtrack. Um, it's It's pretty fantastic. There are a lot of there are a couple known um, writers on there and a couple, um, you know, songs on there you'll recognize, but most of them are a lot of really incredible, incredible music pieces. So with that, I'm going to bring Robert on, and I wanted to say to everyone, uh, if you're tuning in, this show will be available afterwards on iTunes and also on Red Velvet Media Blog Talk Radio as a podcast. And uh, I want to... Um, say really quickly to everyone out there, if you're listening, thank you for tuning in and spending this part of your day with us. We haven't been on the air for about a month. Um, we've had um, some downtime with everybody else around the country, and uh, we just are really happy to be here today and be able to bring you uh, this great, fantastic um, guest. So with that, Let's bring Robert into the studio, and also let's bring Spencer into the studio as well. And we are going to go, and we are going to talk about a Memphis rent party. Yeah. Hey, guys. All right. We're here. All right. All right. Thanks for having me. So that song, Robert, yes. um, Uh Uh-huh. You're very welcome. And, uh, yes, Spencer's here, too. Um, That that. That that tune, it just really struck me because it's like you know, it sounds like it's like a little it's it's a it's a nightclub or it's a venue where it is. the field skills are your playing. Give me Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Keep going. It just Tell me what me, it looks like because I think you're gonna feels, hit it. It just feels so. It just feels like they're there, and they're they're playing their little hearts out. I mean, you know. And a lot of this music, I mean, really seriously, the soundtrack, and Spencer, I know, agrees with me. The, spe- the yeah. soundtrack is is just amazing. And um, I just love I just love that song. I just love the feeling of it and just the whole the whole feeling of being in a in a room with people yeah. and uh, you know things that we can't do right now. But you know, we're that we're in a room full of people. Um, so why don't you, um, first of all, introduce yourself, and then talk, let's. I want to talk a little bit about that song, and uh, okay. then we can get into the book, and and then we can talk about okay. how the soundtrack integrates with this book because I think it's a really fantastic book. And well, what thank is the rent? Thank part? you very much. Tell our listeners. Well, a rent party. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're rent- very welcome. 
a red party is uh, is when someone throws a party and charges a little cover charge and sells drinks at home in order to make mm-hmm. some money to pay the rent. You know, it's basically it is what it is. What it sounds like, it's a party to pay the rent. <laughs> sounds and, like um, what people are doing I now. I learned about them. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's about to be a lot of rent parties. They were popular during the Harlem Renaissance, and um, mm-hmm. and that's why I learned about them. And and I just thought it was the coolest concept. And uh, it seemed to me actually to be a, yeah. a, a a good title for a book of like of that was that is a collection of pieces about fifty percent of which have been previously published because it's like the work you know those pieces were written already and published around. So I had them handy, and then I had other pieces that I wrote for the book or pulled out for the book that hadn't been published. And so I just thought, oh, it's like a rent party because it's sort of easy money. I'm getting together with my old uh, pieces and making a buck to to make the rent. But I got to tell you about that greens that that Fieldstones track. Um, yeah, it recorded. It, 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 I love it. One of the things I love is the sound of that is exactly what it looks like. It's a cinder block building. Mm-hmm. I Let me say, they they played every Saturday night in Memphis through the oh. 90s and in the 80s. Wow. And so I used to go see them. It was just, I took it so for granted, you know. I'd go see these guys. Yeah. Cinder block, thick smoke, you know, like uh, you couldn't yeah, see the yeah. back of the room because the cigarette smoke was so mm-hmm. sick. The guy, the the armed guard who would search you at the door, like wow. you could, you could mistakenly tap him with your elbow and he would fall over. He was like an old, you know, who he didn't weigh as much as his gun weighed, you know. And uh, oh wow! And you walk, you walk in and there's a sign on the wall. You know, it was the first time I ever saw a no dope smoking sign on the wall. So I, I love oh, the wow. place and. Um, <laughs> And it was one of the places, you know, where early on as a kid, I'd go in there, and and the first time I went in there, I had the surprise of uh, ordering. It was a summer's night. I'd heard about this group, and my I picked up a friend, and he and I went there, and it was we'd gotten a fifth of bourbon. It was a bring your own club, fifth of bourbon, but it was too hot to drink bourbon yet. So I said, well, here, I'll get a couple beers. So. I, <laughs> you bought your beer outside the room and then you brought it in in this place. And I said, two beers. And they set down two quarts. So my friend and I walked in with two <laughs> quarts and a fifth of bourbon. And we were the most popular wow. in the club all night long. Oh, I bet. I wow. bet. Yeah. How old were you? Were you old enough to drink? Oh, probably <laughs> not. I started, you know, w- when I started drinking with the blues guys in town, I wasn't even old enough to drive. It was harder to find a ride yeah. to go visit them than it was to buy the booze. <laughs> I bet <laughs> you're busted. I knew it. Wow, that is so great. What a great story. So tell me about tell me about them. I mean, what are they like in in, in you know playing the energy and stuff um, in the room? I can hear that. Well, female bass player, and that was always really mm-hmm. cool. Lois really? was almost. She was sort of. She was sort of the most organized one in the band, so wow. she was the de facto band manager. Um, Will Roy, the vocalist, he had this like he, he sort of reminded me in his head, in his face of of 
of Howling Wolf because his head was just yeah. huge and um, kind of he could make these faces while he was singing that would they were hilarious and engaging and <laughs> and you know you just couldn't help but be absorbed by them and uh, you know they in the club they were on the floor. Um, there was dancing right in front of them. You would, it would often be so crowded. You'd sort of get in between the band members to dance. Um, it was oh, wow. just, and it went on oh, every like Saturday night, you know, it was, mm-hmm. it was the most, uh, and you, and every now and then you would see people from like Japan or some, you know, weird foreign country and, mm-hmm. and, uh, they couldn't speak any English, but they could get up there and play guitar with the band. <laughs> wow. 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 It, was it was like tru- music is truly music. Truly music as yeah. the universal language, yeah. It is. Um Wow. Yeah. And uh and and that club eventually closed down. I think it had a fire. Uh, oh, closed God. down and that mm. whole that whole crowd moved way across town from the south side to the north side of town to another club mm-hmm. that's still open now and and is sort of really? the last vestige of it. Yeah. Last time I, I it's funny What's because it called? when you I know first the name of it? Now it's called yeah. Wild Bills. Wild Bills Lounge. Wild Bills. And um So if every yeah. if anyone is in it's in Memphis, right? So if anyone's in Memphis mm-hmm. and you want to go to a Cat- really kick ass <laughs> club, go to Wild yeah. Bills, yeah. really seriously. Do you know Do you know what kind of bill they're running? What, who they have on their uh, on their you know who's playing there and yeah. stuff? Have you kept track it's of all, that? It's always local. Yeah, it's always local, and they've got wow. a band that sort of changes over time. Um, mm-hmm. And and it's interesting because at one point about five or six years ago, I was in there, and it had gone from when I first started going to the club long ago i would be the only uh white face in the in the crowd and about five or six years ago it finally happened to where the only african-american faces in the crowd were on the bandstand and i thought wow i've witnessed a a complete cycle you know um total changeover the good news is when i went about a few months ago offhand just sort of on a whim on a thursday night it was Mm -hmm. a neighborhood club Mm -hmm. People were in there playing dominoes. The band was playing. Oh, wow. uh, there was cards going nice. on. It was just like a neighborhood clubhouse again. So uh, it was great. great, you know. Yeah, yeah. And they had their bourbon and, not on the... and their two beers. And <laughs> <laughs> they were yeah. sitting there <laughs> and just pretending to blend in. Right. <laughs> that's funny. That, that's gonna, the formula. I'm, gonna, I'm never going to forget that story that you just told me. I'm going to I'm going to give you a hard time about that all the time. I got to ask funny. you. Can I ask you a question? I got to ask a question. How? Oh, yeah, um, uh, Robert, yeah. what, what the the conception of the soundtrack? Uh, how did you make the choices? It must have been really difficult because you know so many musicians. I think it was you know? on the book, right? With the book. Well, yeah, I drew from the book. Yeah. So there's like uh, I don't know probably 20, 25 chapters in the book, all on different artists who are associated right. with Memphis in one way or another. And it's a pretty wide definition. You know, Cat Power's in there because she recorded here and I helped her put a band together. Mm-hmm. Uh, Towns Van Zant is in there because he recorded here and I was his tour manager for like 10 seconds 
one time and had a blast. And, um, and so it's a pretty wide conception of Memphis music, but I drew the artists I drew from it really be- began, you know, like the, the, the kernel was, there was this old bootleg of Alex Chilton playing this, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. this reggae song called Johnny Too Bad. It's on the soundtrack to mm-hmm. The Harder They Come. Yep. And he's, he's being backed by the greatest Memphis punk band, completely unknown, never recorded, called The Randy Band. They've never heard the song, mm-hmm. and they're backing Alex on it. And it's great. It's just it's it this is. great performance I always loved. And so I was like, okay, I, you know, let me start there and then and see where it goes. It was kind of like if I can get the rights to that, then I'll do the album. And if yeah, I can't, yeah, then I won't. Yeah. So right. that worked out. And then, and then it got hard to cut it down because all these artists had, um, yeah, have, you know, they, yeah. And there's a lot of, because either I made some recordings or because I knew about recordings, there's a lot of unissued stuff. And so I sort of focused on things that hadn't gotten a good airing or hadn't gotten out ever. Um, there's a Jerry Lee track. There's a, there's a chapter on Jerry Lee where I, uh, over a year, I spent a bunch of time with him, never interviewing him, which uh, the first half year I kept telling the, the road manager, hey, man, I need to get my sit-down time with Jerry Lee. This was a, an article I did for Playboy m- magazine, one of the more uh, uh, known names of magazines that I drew from. So, uh, And after about half a year, I realized, oh, I don't need an interview with Jerry Lee. I'm getting more truth in observing all this time I've been given you know, Absolutely. all the observations gave yeah. me much more truth yeah. than he, he would have told. True. So, but, but there was this, this obscure, there, there was these legendary recordings Jerry used to make in Memphis where mm-hmm. after he'd become a successful country singer, he would go, it got to be where he hated it, you know, yeah. and yeah. they would, they, they would send him track backing tracks already mm-hmm. finished and, he was supposed to go in the studio with Knox Phillips, who died last week. God rest his soul. Oh, Great wow. guy, Sam Phillips, mm-hmm. Sam Phillips' son. Uh, oh, he'd go God. in the studio with Knox and to, to, to get these vocals. But the only way they could get the vocals was first Jerry Lee had to burn off his anger. So he would, he would <laughs> do some you know, great rock and roll. And, and then when he would calm down, he would sing these sappy vocal tracks. So I got so mm-hmm. finally... Uh, Time Life, of all people, put out the Jerry Lee Lewis album, the, the Knox Phillips Sessions, and it got no attention. But there's a version of Jerry Lee doing Harbor Lights that is, uh, this, you know, it's the old. Oh, I love that one. Yeah, 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 that's great. Yeah. Yeah, it's like that's an old a ballad. Really so it's great a milk toasty yeah. kind of ballad. And, and, he, and Jerry Lee just rocked it like no <laughs> one has ever rocked it. Like, I mean, wow. I don't mean like, I, I mean, first of all, no one's done the song as a rock and roll song. And, and Jerry Lee just ripped it by its guts so wow. i was like okay i gotta have that mm-hmm. you know and then it was funny because jerry there was a alex says something at the end at, at the end of his song i knew that alex was an old jerry lee fan so i created a little dialogue between them alex mm-hmm. says okay anybody else want to get up here and do something and jerry <laughs> lee says you cut it right this time you hear me and boom he goes into it <laughs> oh, that's, funny. <laughs> that's funny that's funny well, you know, what I want to ask is, I mean, you've got some amazing stories in the book as you're telling 
the the stories behind the songs and stuff. Um, and there are so many people and so many different types of interviews in this in this book. Um, I know that I watched an interview of you on a on a mm-hmm. morning. T- I, I assumed it was a morning television show, and you were talking, and they were asking you about what was your fa- what was one of your favorites, or what what part really stood out for you when you were doing the book. And it was really hard mm-hmm. for you to answer, but you did answer. <laughs> and now I'm going to ask What'd you I because say? I know it's probably changed. Oh. So well, I know because I mean, I mean things do change, you know. Something yeah, happens, yeah. and then all of a sudden it's like, aha! You have that aha moment, and you have a different well, idea of what is your, what was in it. So go for it. One of the things this book let me do was pull out, you know. I've been writing for, I don't know, 30 years professionally. Mm-hmm. So over that time, sometimes you there's a story that you know you have to do, but, but, no one, but you know there's no way you'll ever sell it. So mm-hmm. I had written I, – I, I had uh, spent some time with Phineas Newborn Jr., this great uh, jazz piano player – who uh, mm-hmm. made his name in the 50s and 60s, and his brother Calvin, who was a jazz guitarist. Um, and I realized one day after Phineas had died that his mom was alive still and that she had raised Phineas, had raised Calvin. They were both you know, wild, energetic kids who were playing in nightclubs with their dad um, when they were like 12 and 13 years old, junior high school age. And... Um, and their dad was a character, too. So I went over to the mom's house. I asked Calvin to tell her I was coming over, and I went over there one day. She, The first thing I remember, she got dressed up to to, to greet me. She lived in a Aww. shotgun shack, you, you know, wow. in, a, in a kind mm-hmm. of rundown neighborhood. And, and she got dressed up. She had on a really cool African cap. And she, I noticed, I don't know why this was, but in her stockings down at her calves, there was there was some crumpled dollar bills, who knows, you know. But it's Aww. one of those things that stands out. Wow. So I talked to her for a while, and I wound up coming home, and I wrote a fairly long profile of her that that kind of talked about the whole newborn family history, but really mm-hmm. kind of focused on her with a little bit on Calvin, and because they both had been overlooked. And then I put it in my drawer, and honest to God, I forgot about it. And when I was going through things to put the book together I found a note I'd made myself about that piece and so I found you know it was literally written uh on a typewriter you know sort of pre pre word processor Mm -hmm. so I pulled it out and you know dusted it off and so I guess right now that's my favorite because the book let me take something like that you know it's hard Mm -hmm. enough to find a anyone who'll publish a piece on a jazz musician so I knew no one was going to Publish a piece on yeah. a jazz musician's mom, yeah. right. <laughs> so I just I wrote it and put it away. And this book gave me an opportunity to to great. Uh, get that piece out. Yeah, it's a great story. Yes, and there are some other really great and stories then, in and here. And then I'll say um, I want to yeah one yeah I want to talk for a second about James Carr. Mm-hmm. James Carr is the soul yes. singer, kind of yes. best known for the defining version of "Dark End of the Street." 
which mm-hmm. is one of the two greatest mm-hmm. soul songs ever recorded. The other being, uh, uh-oh, uh-oh, drawing a blank on the name. The other being uh, uh, Steal Away, and, uh, which is what they were trying to imitate, what Dan Penn and Chips Moman were trying to imitate, the, the Jimmy Hughes song Steal Away when they wrote Dark End of the Street. So James Carr, you know, my, my, my friend from Memphis has a saying that is, Nothing ever happens in Memphis, but the impossible always does. And this was one of those cases where my friends are in a recording studio. The guy called me up and said, hey, man, James Carr is coming in to do some <laughs> – they're pulling out some old 16 tracks. They're going to uh, use the old backing band and let James record new vocals. So I showed up at the session. I knew the producer, and – I got to be in on this, and I got to. I wound up spending time with James Carr. James, James Carr had a real promising soul career until uh, mental instabilities kind of took him down. And uh, he, you know, I don't, I, I, I can't diagnose what he had, but he communication was difficult, and. Uh, he would be catatonic on stage at times. You know, it was just like he couldn't perform. He had he had long stopped performing. But I guess they were looking at him making a comeback. So I got to spend some time with him. And uh, one of the great parts about it, this piece initially ran in the L.A. <laughs> Weekly. Well, one of the great parts about it yeah, was really uh, going to the diner with James Carr, and I'm wow. talking to him about dark end of, dark end of the street, and he goes, Oh man. It's a story, and you just <laughs> sing it. You just sing it like you're telling the story. And he breaks into the song, and you know I'm sitting across the oh, wow. table at a at a at a greasy spoon from you know the, the world's greatest soul singer, and he's belting this out, and I was just amazed. You know, it was like it was a thrill. I, I'm getting uh, the hair on my arm is standing up as I'm talking about it. And uh, but one of the things the book did allowed me to do was there was this other part of the story, which I'd never been able to publish, which was mm-hmm. when we were leaving that diner, I showed, I had a copy of, of a James Carr greatest hits LP called the world's greatest soul singer. And it had a big studio portrait of James on the cover. And he looks at that and he goes, he says something like, uh, I'm not the same person I was when I had that picture made. And I said, well, what do you mean? Mm. And then he went into this just, I guess you would say, insane story. It was, it was, it was crazy, you know, this, and I, he tells me this whole story. And I said, wait a minute, man, let's go back to your place. I'm confused. I need you to tell me again. And it's a story about someone basically stealing his body and, uh, but you know, but keeping his voice, and, and and so I had it, I had it transcribed verbatim, but I'd never wanted to publish when he was alive, and uh, and I didn't publish. I wrote an obituary of him, and it didn't seem appropriate to do it then. But after all this time, I thought it was appropriate, and it's one of the most compelling and stirring and disturbing things I think you know you'll you'll ever read. Wow. Yeah, no, I'm so reading, that, to look I'm to? reading that, that is, that is trippy. And I'm reading in the book right now. I'm on page uh, 105. I don't know if you have your book in front of you, Spencer, but yeah. 
where he said, Dark End of the Street, he says, was cut live with the band. I wonder aloud what makes the song so good. It's really simple, he says. It's really a simple song. Just sing it the way you talk. Just, yeah. And then James Carr sings the whole first yeah. verse and chorus of his biggest yeah. hits with plates clattering in the background, silverware falling on the floor, and conversations at nearby tables uninterrupted. Mm-hmm. With each line, he makes our presence in the yeah. diner more ridiculous. This voice should be on big stages. Yeah. It was, it was a wild really moment. That's really sad. That is really, it is. That is really I mean, sad that, that he said that. That's that's sad. But you know what's really cool about this book, though, is that you really get into people's heads, and they really tell you things. And um, yeah. there's a lot of really great great in, introspect. In fact, like person that we're ending the show with, the song that we're ending with, Jerry, Jerry's song, um, Jerry McGill, yeah. That, yeah, yeah. that was. It's a great song. That, that, that was, whoa. When I saw yeah. that, that well, uh, clip you sent me, yeah. That must have been really yeah, hard I, for you. Jerry McGill is a, was a Sun Records recording artist. He put out mm-hmm. 145 on Sun. Amazing. And that was the only, only song he ever released in his life. Uh, though he recorded mm-hmm. tons, he was he, he was the road manager for Waylon Jennings for about 20 years. And as he says in the documentary, the documentary is called "Very Extremely Dangerous." And uh, in the mm-hmm. documentary, no, McGill said, it. "I was on the road for 20 years. Oh. I was uh, <laughs> I was I was Waylon Jennings' driver yeah. for 20 years with yeah. a driver's license. I could not show the law. You know, <laughs> he was on. He, he had served." He's sort of this legendary outlaw in Memphis, and um, he got out of his third term in prison in about, I don't remember, the early, about 2005, 2010, something like that. Yeah, it was about 2010, because we made the movie in, I think, 2012 or 2011, and uh, and, uh, McGill was this career criminal who had this... He had this really soft heart, but he was a he was just a hard cuss man. He was yeah, yeah. a difficult guy to be around. Mm. Well, at one point, I'm driving. You know, I used to do a a regular weekly workout that I happened to mention to him one time. And uh, one day, as I'm driving, you know, it was sort of like a part of my routine at the time. And I'm driving to my uh, workout, and the phone rings, and it's McGill. First thing he says to me is. You go into your workout. Oh, <laughs> damn, Jerry, you are just letting me know, aren't you? Because I'd given him, a, I'd made a mistake. I'd made a mistake when he got out of prison. He'd sent me some of his short stories. I'd written about him oh, in my wow. first book. Mm-hmm. It came from Memphis. So, mm-hmm. and he liked what I'd written. So he, he sent me some of his short stories, and they were really good. So I was like, Yeah. Uh, I said, McGill, send me some more. And he said, Give me your address. And it was one of those moments where oh, time no. stops. And in my head, in my head, I thought, yeah, I used to keep a P.O. box just for this kind of occasion. But, hey, I let that P.O. box mm-hmm. lap, lapse about five years ago. Oh, hell, McGill's in his 70s. He can't be, <laughs> you know, he can't still be like he was. And I gave him my home address. 
and goddamn, if not, oh, like, no. you know, several months later, he has, uh, his girlfriend has kicked him out of the car in Memphis. She's gone back to Alabama and he's wandering around at this point. I'd already found out he was shooting up, you know, that he, he had a, he had a habit. And so he's wandering around Memphis with my address. And I, I was on my <laughs> oh, way out no. of town. I had to show his photo to my wife and my two little daughters and say, look, do not let this guy in the house. Bring him a sandwich, <laughs> feed him outside. Do not let him in the house. <laughs> these are the, you know, these are the, uh, these are the, the challenges of um, getting involved with people on the edge. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But that's what I like. I like that, I like that edge stuff. Uh, my friend Jim Dickinson always said, if you're not on the edge, you're taking up too much space. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That let, is let me. Funny. I got to ask you a question. Um, the book you have so many great people in it. Lead Belly. The names are unreal, and of course, people that really don't recognize some of these people that are amazing. But I thought it was really interesting. You wrote a thing on Jeff Buckley. Could you go into that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Buck, Jeff. Uh, you know, Jeff after his very first successful album uh, mm-hmm. had become friendly with a great Memphis band called the. Grifters and the Grifters did all their recording at Easley Recording, Doug Easley Studio, and Davis McCain. And so they encouraged and and Jeff was talking about feeling cooped up in New York, and they basically sold Jeff on Memphis. So he comes down here to record, and I stopped by the session, and I guess he'd read it came from Memphis. That was out at the time, and. He knew who I was, and so we chatted for a while, and he said, yeah, he's loving it here. He said, I'm thinking of moving here, and I told him about a house on my block that was for rent because you could get cheap housing in great areas, and um, and so he rented it, and we became down-the-street neighbors, oh, but wow. I oh, knew he was working. Great. That's great. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I knew he was working, so I didn't bother him all the time, and he knew I was working, but we'd hang out every now and then, not, you know – um, he turned me on to this great Peter Sellers film called The Party, which I encourage oh, all yeah, that's great. listeners to that's watch. Great movie, yeah. And thank Jeff Buckley. If you have, if you're unfamiliar <laughs> with it, don't thank me. Oh you. yeah, I saw, I saw it. Yeah, a couple of times. <laughs> it's a very yeah. w- funny movie. Very funny movie. Yeah. So, and, and in fact, Jeff and I, the the the, the talk was because I do film and and uh, music videos. At the time, I did a lot of music videos. It was like I said, Jeff. Okay, when your album's done. We'll, we'll find the right song. We'll dress you up in a white three-piece suit. He was quite the clothes hound. And I said, and we'll and we'll make a music video based on the party. We'll like because re, <laughs> we'll recreate some of those gags, you know. And wow. he was all for it. Uh, yeah, we talked about it. so uh, you know, like the day before he died, he had uh, he had wow. returned. What did I, I I loaned him a Terry Southern book and. He returned that, and you know, it was just like we were we were we were friends. He came to dinner a time or two. Um, I had this weird incident with him where I ran into him on the street, and he was a, a uh, sheriff was hassling him. It was, I thought it was because he was on this kind of bad block. He was out taking a walk, and he thought it was because the sheriff thought he was famous. And I don't, you know, nobody knows the real reason, but, but he got in my car when 
I said, look, man, get in my car. You know, we'll get you out of here. The sheriff let him go. And then uh, it started raining, and he hopped out of my car. It was all very, you know, Jeff was a, Jeff was impulsive in an unpredictable way. Mm-hmm. And mm. when when we were piecing together what had happened down at the river, the idea of him swimming fully dressed with his shoes on made mm. sense to me in the short time I'd known him because of the of of the way he was so impulsive. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, wow. it's still sad, man. It's still sad. Yeah, that's, it's a really a sad story. He died, he died very young, and he had a, his first album was, you know, it was a knockout. Everybody would listen to the first album. And I just thought it was uh, a lot of people didn't know uh, what you brought into this book about that Memphis side, you see. Uh, and, and that's yeah. what's interesting to me. Uh, it's off the cuff, you know. Thank you. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah. You know. <laughs> You know, I, or, I mean, that, that's a sad one. To, yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. Yeah, Jeff Buckley. Yeah, that definitely was a very sad story. You know, about him being gone. We went, he's, uh, he's, he's his music's amazing. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. One one last, just one more weird, quick little thing. Oh no! One night we went to it. go shoot pool. One night we went to go uh-huh. shoot pool, and. Uh-huh. Uh, he had a rental car, so he drove. I only drove with him that once, I think. After that, I always drove. He was a bad driver. Uh, no, I don't think he drove. I think I drove. Anyway, uh, we, we were leaving the place, and he goes back in his house. He puts on the Ramones, turns it up full blast, and he leaves. <laughs> so I don't know oh, whether he was trying to funny. keep away the burglars or what, man. But I was like, okay, Jeff, whatever you want to do, let's get out of here. That's funny. And then we oh, went downtown and shot pool. Funny. And and he played <laughs> the grifters on the jukebox, and the and the bar owner unplugged the jukebox because he didn't like the songs. And Jeff jumped up on the pool table and demanded his quarterback. I was like, Oh wow, that's that, funny. Oh wow, I, I said, that's I a great story. Yeah, he needs his quarterback. You ripped him off. Give him his quarter. It was great. We had a blast. And I want to ask you about two more people. Uh, of course, you have a whole list that's yeah. unreal. One is Sam Phillips, and the other one I want you to talk about, Robert Johnson. <clears throat> well, okay, so uh, the Sam Phillips piece is about Sam's appearance on the David Letterman show. And mm-hmm. um, it's one of the most mystifying things you'll ever watch. It's on YouTube. You can dub it, you know, Sam Phillips, David Letterman, you can Google it. Um, and I was talking to my wife about it, and she said, Sam is producing Dave. And I realized how right she was. Mm. And, and that's what this piece is about. It's sort of it's a wow. uh, breakdown of the appearance and shows how Sam comes out, takes full control. You know, when, when David Letterman introduces Sam Phillips, the spotlight goes to where it's supposed to go. But mm-hmm. Sam's not there, yeah. and 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 Sam comes out like you know he waits like four or five seconds, a long time on national TV to come out, and right there he is in control, you know. And so that's what that that that's what that piece is about. And the Robert Johnson one, you know, that's one of those. The, the, that's a piece about the royalties, about fo- uh, following the royalties on the. Mm-hmm. 
from the big box set that went, you know, sold gold and yeah. won a Grammy Award for Robert Johnson in the in the nineties. Um, and you know, I live in Memphis. I'm born and raised here, uh, and so I'm pretty familiar with the Mississippi Delta. And that was a great opportunity just to kind of immerse myself in uh, in the Delta and its exploitation, I guess you might yeah. say. So, uh, so, um, and I focused there on two field researchers who both were trying to claim the quote-unquote discovery of Robert Johnson, uh, Steve Levere and Mac McCormick, and how mm. they tussled with you, with each other, and and how. And, and one of the points of the piece is how uh, the money becomes the subject and the music gets lost. Well, um, right. it's a great right. it's a great piece. I won an award for it that is. actually. A, uh, oh right, yeah, yeah. A, key, a Blues Foundation award, yeah. Congratulations, my friend. Yeah, I wanted I wanted to talk a little bit about your film and uh, you being a Grammy winner and an Emmy winner. Um, we should talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, I let's talk about your film. Let's see. My okay. Uh, I made my first film, which was a 30 minute piece with BB King and Rufus Thomas and some other blues artists. Uh, probably oh, 1989, I think maybe 1990 it was finished. It showed on national PBS and uh. And that and that's what brought me back to Memphis. I'd been living on the East Coast and down in Austin, Texas. I came back to make that movie, and I kept getting magazine work, and so I stayed. And I've been here ever since. And um, and that's what led to my first book. It came from Memphis, published in 1995. And and then I started making a bunch of music videos, and I was writing the biography of Muddy Waters. Yeah. And as I was writing it. Mm-hmm. I wanted mm-hmm. to collect all the footage I could because I wanted to get his. I'd never been able to hang out with Muddy. I'd seen him perform a number of times, but I wanted just to feel him close. And as I collected all this footage, um, I began to shop a documentary idea. And I was about to throw in the towel when I had dinner with my friend Peter Goralnik, the writer, who was coming through town with a young filmmaker <clears throat> named Morgan Neville. And Morgan mm-hmm. was working with Peter on a movie about Sam Phillips. And mm. so the three of us are having dinner. And uh, I mentioned that I was, was trying to make a Muddy Waters documentary and that, you know, and, and, and Morgan, who I'm meeting, meeting the first time that night, his head kind of caught to the side. And he was like, Muddy Waters. And so he was living in L.A. He had good connections and he found us a deal. So he and I partnered up to make this Muddy Waters film, uh, which led to he and I making five films together. Um, So he would make, he and I would make films together. He made a lot of films independently on his own. I made a a couple or few independently on my own. And we have these five together. Um, The Muddy Waters film was nominated for a Grammy award. uh, Like I think five or six, Five films were nominated for a Grammy Award. Uh, I won wow. a Grammy for the liner notes to the Big Star box set. Um, and I won the Emmy for oh, the great. last film. Mor- yeah. The, the last film Morgan and I made together was not about music. It was, a, it was <laughs> it's kind of a 
ballet film. Not really ballet. Oh, how cool! It's, it's, That's great. It's Gore Vidal. It's Gore Vidal and William F. Buckley. It's wow. Sort of a, it's part ballet, part boxing. And part politics. That's you know? right. It's these two guys. Um, <laughs> that's incredible. Best it's of enemies. Is that what it was? Yeah. Best of enemies. Best right. Of enemies. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. Yeah. So that had a really nice, successful theatrical run, and won an Emmy, and got shortlisted for an Oscar, and and it was a it's a great film because it's about the decline of uh, decency of civility in mm. in politics. And uh, the we I guess that we got the idea in 2010, and we were like, "Come on, we'll make this for 2012." And when we didn't have the money raised, we, I don't know, you know, the the 2012 election had been really uh, bitter and ugly, and we thought, "Man, we missed our opportunity. It, it's it's never going to be as bitter and ugly as that again." And of wow. course, it's only gotten worse. So uh, so the film remains timely. I think it's on Hulu now if you want to catch it. Uh, Robert, tell, it us about your, tell us about your Johnny Cash film. Uh, the Johnny Cash film is called Johnny Cash's America and the premise is sort of about Johnny Cash being an icon in which everyone can see themselves. Mm-hmm. So uh one of the you know one of the film's um uh techniques is we have like Lamar Alexander and Albert Gore, a Republican senator and a uh Democratic vice president. We have Snoop Dogg and Ozzy Osbourne. We have just this whole diverse array of people in who are talking about what Johnny Cash meant to them. And we go off with, uh-huh. uh, in, on the first day of shooting, this was great. The first day of shooting, I'm on, the, on a bus with Johnny's son, Johnny's sister. Wow. Uh, and some other family members. And I guess it was the anniversary of Jack's death. Jack is Johnny's uh-huh. older brother who was killed in a sawmill accident when he was 12. Oh, so, wow. So right. the, the, the family still goes to honor him, you know. So we're on the bus. And we're riding out with them, and we're talking to everybody, me and the cameraman, and and at the grave. And so then we start shooting at the grave, and it's all great. And then they they impromptu put their arms around each other and start singing "Will the Circle Be Unbroken?" And oh, wow. mm-hmm. again, I'm wow. getting yeah, the hair standing up again. You know, it was one of those moments that like you can never plan. You had you, to you be can't there. Say, oh, well, go. Yeah. We'll ask them to do this. You know. And it, and it was it's really powerful. So, yeah. So it's very. Uh, gosh, I haven't watched it in a long time, but it's a great piece about about the many in the one of Johnny mm-hmm. Cash. Great. Wow. Mm-hmm. He was. So, an, I mean, he, you've he done other an books. Amazing uh, person. How I wanted to ask mm-hmm. one more thing. I'm sorry, oh, I'm sorry. what? Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I don't want to cut you off. Go ahead. Ask him. Oh no, I was Oh no, I was just saying that uh Johnny was just an amazing person. Um, yeah. you know, I've seen a couple films, some other some documentaries that other people have done on him. And it's just, you know, seeing that and then hearing about his life and knowing his one daughter and everything. It's just so different. 
you know, how how their whole life and they're and they're very family oriented. Yeah. Um yeah. as you yeah, said. Very true. That that you know that same outing where we went to the grave, we also went to the old mm-hmm. family home which was this uh wow. the shack in, in Arkansas and the sister this was one of my greatest memories from that the sister said mm-hmm. she looks down at the floor and she's like, Oh my gosh, that's the same linoleum we had when I was a kid and then she says oh, that's we used to funny. come in from picking cotton she said, when they put that linoleum down, it was the most exciting thing for us because it stayed cool. And we'd come in from picking cotton and lay on it with our cheeks on the linoleum to try to cool off. Aww. Wow. How about that? How about that for some hard scrap? Unbelievable. I, w- I want to ask you about some what of your you, other What were you going to say, um, Ben? I, I was mm-hmm. just going to ask how – I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, 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 oh, no, Robert, no, no. I, want to, I want to ask you about your some of your other books, which people should know about, mm-hmm. uh, Muddy Waters. Uh, there's two on Elvis. I want to ask you about the Elvis books. I, they seem really amazing. Those are, those are really cool books. Yeah. Facts Records book, yeah. Uh, the, the, the Elvis books came about because the, the first one called The King on the Road uh, was when – Colonel Parker, quote unquote, uh, sold his archive to Graceland. And I say, quote unquote, because really what Colonel Parker did was he got Graceland to pay him to move him. He was leaving his home. He had all the stuff he didn't want. And instead of having to pack it up and move it, (laughs) his sort of last con was to get Graceland to pay for it. But it was tons of stuff. And so (laughs) I got. I, even before they'd begun to catalog it, I was allowed in to start working on this book. And it's that amazing. That book features the concert. It's like a concert book. Um, but it was really great because I had, because Colonel Parker had tons of things that you just couldn't, uh, you know, that would be impossible to find. And, and, um, and it made all the, all the research easy because it was in one place. And the other Elvis book it, uh, was several years later, but drew from, that same archive and it's it's a it's a book that features facsimiles of items from that collection so there's contracts there's uh <clears throat> promo items from vegas all these different things that are tucked into the pages that you, you can take out and handle and really? the story is kind of like a traditional it's kind of like a short biography it was that uh the the inserts, to be perfectly honest, the inserts in that book are better than the text. The text is kind of <laughs> summary, and well, because at the time they were working real fast, and they didn't. I yep. couldn't write about the items because they hadn't picked the items. Sure. So sure. I could only write about the life. Yeah. And, uh, and 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 but you know, it, it's a great it's a it's a great package. And the stacks book, uh, which is called Respect Yourself. Yeah. Yep. Um, uh, you know, Stax is the Memphis Music Soul Company. Um, here's the thing about Memphis. You know, I'll come back to Stax in a second, but um, there's kind of there's two kinds of records in a way. There, you can break it up any way you want, but one way to break it up is to say there's records of people who are trying to have a hit by sounding like everybody else, right? You know, they come out and they sound it sounds just like what you you're hearing. Now there's another song and boom, it's a hit. That's Nashville, the Nashville way. And then yeah. there's the Memphis way, which is to have a hit that sounds like no one else, right? 
that's Elvis coming along and doing something altogether new. And that's Stax. Stax comes along and with this uh, racially mixed house band and this organic nature of creating songs, they had, you know, it didn't have the, it didn't have the pop veneer that Motown had. It's much more aggressive and funky. So, um, so I've always been interested in Stax. Uh, when I was a kid, Rufus Thomas uh, would sell, you know, he was a huckster on TV for local, local stores. So I've always just always known about it. And um, I got to do this. Well, I got to do the film first and, and that was great. It's called also called respect yourself. And when it was done, we had done all these interviews and only touched on like, uh, you know, one tenth of the information we'd collected. And mm. the interviews were transcribed, which is always wow. the hardest part. So I said to my partners, hey, you guys, if you're not going to, if you guys are done with this, I'm going to take the material and turn it into a book. And they were like, yeah, 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 go ahead. And I said, it'll be easy. But I think every writer tells himself every book is going to be easy at the beginning yeah. because otherwise you wouldn't do it. And wow. and it, it wasn't mm-hmm. easy, and it required a lot of a lot more interviews and and stuff. Yeah. But I did in the context of the social times because they're inseparable, and um, and between the book and the documentary, it's a really great great yeah. introduction Package, to the right. Stacks record label. Yeah, it is. It's fantastic. You know, I want to give your website out really quickly because oh, um, I did not give that out earlier. It's therobertgordon.com. So That's instead correct. of just robertgordon.com, it's therobertgordon.com. And um, yeah. it's funny because we've had Robert Gordon, the singer, right on, on our, our show. show as well. So <laughs> yeah. it's so funny. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> We've dogged each other all our lives. At one point, I was often confused with him at another point he was often confused with me and then <laughs> i i actually brought him a he played a club around the corner so i showed up and gave him a copy of my first book oh that's really cool oh yeah. that's fantastic <laughs> that's great he's he's a really great guy he's a yeah. really really yeah. nice person as you are too um but well, now on you. your website you have your book and um, the films and stuff, the links are on there to be able to yes. watch them. I know the one is on Hulu. Um, yes. And if anybody wants to order the books, the books are available. I saw them available on a lot of different outlets. Um, so yes. you can grab the book. I think I have I, uh, people who are collectors. I've linked to my local indie bookstore so you can order from there and they'll call me and I'll go sign it for you. Or inscribe it if you want. So, oh, that's yeah, nice. You can, you can oh, buy them. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I have to. I have to local. add something, Holly. Uh, uh, Robert, and I know Holly agrees with me totally. The soundtracks that you have are amazing. The, all the songs are amazing. Now, that's very rare. Not every. And Holly and I know. <laughs> you know, musicians have what we call fillers to fill up the album. This is not like that. I, I really right. suggest for anybody listening in to get this, if you're into blues, especially, underlying blues, Soundtrack's get this amazing. album, right? Get this album and oh, listen yeah. to it. That's all i got to yeah. say. And, I mean, yeah. 
you're gonna expect to be expect to be just be like blown away with a lot of the music. In right. fact, the song that we're ending with today is just one of my. It's just it really stood out to me, like the piece that we opened up with with the Fieldstones. And I want to let you know that I did extend the show, so um, you know we can talk a little bit longer um, if you both have time. Um, and I wanted to say the show will be again available on. Red Velvet Media, Log Talk Radio as a podcast, and also on iTunes. Um, and let's see, we have the book. The book is available on the website. And then I wanted to ask about a person, that about one of the chapters in the book here. I'm going to it right now okay. here. Um, the, um, hold on a minute. Where is it here? The Alex Chilton um, uh, mm-hmm. wrote about. Yeah, that was yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, I he has. T- he's hear a little of, more about yeah, that. Yeah, go ahead. Um, oh no, no, no! I'm done. Well, a, a couple things. One is uh, one of the things about the Alex ch- uh, section in this book is in the book or for the book, I wrote a little introduction to each piece. That gives it some context and and mm-hmm. uh, tells both about the pursuit of the story and sort of where I was. There's a little bit of autobi of an autobiographical thread that runs through the book. And and one of the things I like about the Alex chapter in the book is it breaks the rule because the introduction is longer than the piece, <laughs> which you know mm-hmm. I'm all about that. Uh, um, breaking the rules so the and and that's kind of why Alex appealed to me as a musician because he broke the rules I remember buying as a kid I bought his album called Like Flies on Sherbert which was uh, mm-hmm. probably a 79 78 release it was right when punk was coming out and I, I hadn't been exposed mm-hmm. to punk and I, I put this record on you could you could play it before you buy it back in the day and I put it on and I hear Alex bumping into the microphone and laughing about it during the song. And I thought, mm-hmm. huh, I, you know, I'm not going to pay for that. I'm not going to let an artist treat me like that. And then I, I went off to college a month later and I came home, you know, at, at the winter break and I went back to that record store and I was like, find me that record in the back. I must have it. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> because I'd been exposed, you know, I'd heard X and I'd heard, um, you know, the sounds that suddenly made it all make sense. And, and uh, and I loved it. I loved the corralled chaos. You know, it was um, it was more than loose, but it wasn't tight. And 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 mm-hmm. and Alex was a local guy in clubs. You know, you'd hear him and you could hang out. I started hanging out with him a little bit, but uh, we got along okay until we didn't get along and. And I was never sure why we didn't get along, except that apparently it had to do with my birth date, that he was a uh, star, you know, a uh, astrology guy and didn't like the way we lined up. And that was kind of, and, and, and the stars really? had spoken. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. That is so funny. Uh, Are you serious? That is hysterical. Um, weird stuff. So, but, 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 you know, I... I probably, you know, some of the most fun nights I ever had were uh, dancing mm-hmm. to his trio in the 90s when he was doing all these old 70s 
60s songs, you know, he he would sound like an AM mm-hmm. radio. He'd been in the box tops, you know, like AM radio band. And he just, mm-hmm. in, in the 90s, he had a trio and they would, it would, they were like a wedding band, but it was like a really great wedding band. So we, uh, us locals would get in this old club that was like a shoebox and he would just play loud and everyone would dance. And it was, it was quite fun. I, wow. I, I admired him. Oh, that's awesome. And I was frustrated by him. So that that's not a bad thing. Oh, yeah, no, I got it. I got it. Yeah. I, I I have I I know people like that. You take them in increments. It's like people you can be around, but you know, then you have to like take them in increments. I know. Uh, That's true. I have people That's in my true. life like that, so totally get it. Um, you know what we didn't ask was we want to know what you're currently working on right now. Yeah. Um. Well, the if you first want to tell book us. I wrote. <laughs> yeah. The, mm-hmm. the first book I wrote is. Uh, has been published by Simon Schuster, and I took the rights from them because they were for the past like ten years. It just looked like crap. They it looks like they're printing it from a photocopier that needs new toner. So <laughs> I uh-huh. um, I just look wow. terrible, and I it really bothered me. And as the twenty fifth as the twenty fifth anniversary was coming up, I went to a, a small mm-hmm. press and made a deal. Because they said they would do a new edition, they would oh, nice. do a whole new layout, all new photos, oh, wow. and I got to correct the mistakes. And I wrote a couple new chapters, so that's going to come out. That's slated oh, for nice. October. Uh, it came from Memphis, okay. and since the press hasn't announced it, I don't want to announce the press yet. But it's really cool. I'm very excited Great. about it. And congratulations! Then, oh, that's I, awesome. Thank you. Yeah, congratulations. I've got a. Um, a few films that I've been trying to get made for a few years. And that's kind of the way film work goes. You work at it for a few years until it finally clicks. One film is about the Newport folk festival. One film is about Allen Ginsberg and the beats. And uh, then there's this third film. I'm just getting started about a uh, plutonium accident of all things. Wow. And I've got a couple during the quarantine, I've pulled up a couple old personal pieces that I uh, had written and never and hadn't tried to sell. Again, some of like that Mama Rose newborn thing. So I'm just kind of pulling them out and polishing them up to get them ready to sell. But yeah. they're uh, they're kind of I, you know when I don't want I don't want to get too specific on them because they're they're not far enough along to, for me to answer questions about them. Yet. Oh no, I understand that. No, this quarantine, yeah. I'm going to tell you, it's brought out a lot of creativity and a lot of different people. I, I've, I think that it's kind of like a reset for so many people. Um, you know, being home I keep, yeah. because you're doing I keep things. That. Yeah. yeah, but, but it these is. days, because yeah. you're for me. Go ahead. The days are basically uh-huh. unchanged, you know. I mean, I'm like, not, now I can admit it because everyone else home. is doing it. I, right. I, I'm in my pajamas. I'm in my pajamas until you know three in the afternoon anyway because um, mm-hmm. I kind of get up real early in the morning and I just work and work and work and work and then I'll finally like go take a shower and all that stuff. So. Uh, oh yeah, no, this I got is kind it. Of normal. But <laughs> and, no, and, but and I feel like I'm getting is. ripped off. 
everyone else is getting their no, no, reset. no. no. It, it's, Funny. It's nice. It's a nice for so many people, and and you know, I and a lot of people are really having a hard time with it. And uh, I want to say yeah. something about that. If you feel like, uh, you know, you're having a hard time with it, you know, FaceTime someone or call them. Uh, you know, um, there's also right. a lot of um, really great things on the Internet right now that a lot of people are doing. They're doing a lot of live uh, meditation, a lot of really great. I, I'm actually taking some courses um, from Yale online, um, which is really cool that they, that they offered. Yeah, I mean. Um, oh, you're gonna ha- you're gonna laugh at this. One of them is on um, it's on psychology and happiness, and mm-hmm. <laughs> another one is on. Um, I'm studying a lot on the copyright and the and the um, you know intellectual property rights um, things that I needed to yeah. you know brush up on. So it's pretty interesting because it's really making you check yourself more. For right. me, and for I know a lot of people out there. And then what's really cool is there's a lot of really great things that have come out of, believe it or not, you know, I always say that out of something really horrible, something always positive, or something good comes out of it. And that is that there's a lot, there's more of an awareness, um, you know, on. Uh, people and 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 you know taking care of yourself, self care, recognizing you know your limits, um, you know as far as your emotional well being, um, you know resting, um, you know taking care of yourself. Like I said, self care. But I've noticed the good things. There have been a lot of people that have been doing a lot of things with the social distancing, like um, on videos, and there have been a lot of concerts. A lot of people have been. Um, raising awareness about a lot of other things in the world, all the poor people that I I have to say, you know, I I I really empathetic, I, you know, I'm really feeling it for the people that have lost their jobs, and I know that you're in an area um, that, you know, work is really important, and I know also in New York it's really important, and on the West Coast here. Um, a lot of the restaurants are closed and uh, people are trying to create things to make money and to kind of, they're being creative. Um, I've noticed yeah. a lot of creativity has grown from this. Haven't you seen that? More creativity <laughs> on people's ends as far as, I guess well, besides <laughs> you, Robert, who gets up and wears his pajamas till 3 o'clock and then takes a shower <laughs> and works from home. Come on. No, you little brat. Um, no, there's, <laughs> there's, there's people out there that, you know, they get up, they're used to going to work every day, and now it's like you're home. You're um, starting to, you know, feel things that you didn't feel before, maybe because you we're doing things now. I know I'm I'm walking. I'm doing a lot. A lot. I'm going outside and walking a lot because I'm in a very remote area. But don't come here because I have security. So. <laughs> 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 I have to tell <laughs> <people> that. 
But um, <laughs> no, but um, as far as you, Spencer, I mean, what is what has this done for you this time? You know what, Holly, you brought up some very good points. Uh, for me, it's like it's very interesting. We have an art of vinyl show on YouTube, so I thought in the beginning it was for that's cool show a show a mm-hmm. pitch, right, Holly? But what's going on now? Mm-hmm. We're getting a lot of views, and I think what's going on is becomes a, dis- a nice distraction. And I feel the it same is. way about our. I feel the same way about our radio show that people need. Mm-hmm. It's like World War Two. They depended on the radio. They depended on listening to things as a distraction. That's what's mm-hmm. going on now. So our radio show it really sets people in a, more of a of, of a listening mode. I think uh, for us uh, because of what's going on. That's my opinion, and. Um, but I'm doing the same thing. I'm walking a little bit. Of course, it's New York, but there's nobody on the street. It's crazy. You got my wear my mask, uh, do my do my food shopping, and run home only two blocks away. And otherwise, I'm in the house watching film, which I love. You know, you know that I love film. So I'm at a twenty-four-seven on film. Streaming is yeah. a big thing right now. Streaming, yeah. the film streaming. I mean, there's. I have to tell everyone out there, and I know, Robert, you probably have the same thing. There are a lot of companies right now that are offering free streaming. I know in California, HBO is offering free streaming of their yeah, channel. Yeah, you have it yeah. Um, yeah, and um, I know a lot, there are a lot of specials going on right now. Um, and then, of course, obviously, we have to wear our masks when we go outside. Right. So people right. have gotten very creative yeah. in my area, especially there are people, um, I don't know about New York. I'm sure in Memphis they're doing it, but a lot of women have gotten together, not, you know, they're doing the social distancing thing, but um, they're making masks. Yeah. Um, because right. yeah. it's really important that the masks, so, yeah, yeah, they're awesome. I, I mean, you know, Holly, I want to bring in something that. you just brought up. I, I have yeah, to bring yeah, yeah. Uh, Justin's wife, Meg, mm-hmm. has a textile thing. I think I sent you the video. It's very short, but she makes beautiful right. texts. She's making masks, she, she, and she sells it or gives it away. I mean, I, I get, she sent me mm-hmm. one. It's fantastic. It's just what I'm pointing out what you're saying, a very good point, what you're saying. The masks are just, I mean, these people are, yeah, they're just going off the hook. So she's yep. making masks. I have to see. I have to see what she made. That's awesome. Yeah, I sent the video. Um, do they have filters it, uh, in them? I saw the video. Uh, no, yeah. no, no filters. But they're made of this uh, very thick textile, uh, environmental, by the way, uh, material, uh-huh. and it's, and it has some weight to it, so it's not thin, which is good. Oh, cool. So, okay. Yeah, and it's got the little layer things, you know, uh, design which you mm-hmm. uh, normally see. But uh, you should, ch- and I sent you the video on her business. This is a short video, but I could resend uh-huh. it to you if you need. You know, it's really great. Yeah, no. Um, Robert, do you have a mask? I do. <laughs> Several. Yeah. Several. My friends are making them, and I've been buying them. And my wife made a bunch, and uh, we've been wearing did them. She? So, yeah. So what did we're, she make? Uh, we're careful. What, what did she use for materials? Because I donated a bunch of material she, I had. To somebody to make a uh, mask. Uh, well, these are not machine made, so she she didn't have a machine. She looked it up and she made them out of shop cloth, which is a porous, oh, wow. but um, but uh, very um, yeah. It was there. It was it's like more. Uh, 
it filters more than cotton, but uh, it's not like one of those vacuum filters that you can't breathe through. So yeah, yeah. they're they're great and well, uh, yeah, I'm sure there's a video for it if you want to try it at home, kids. No, that's that's awesome. It's and with, you know, I really am going to tell you keep it local, guys. Shop local. Yeah. Um, right. I know a lot right. of people are doing online shopping. Um, the online shopping is very overwhelming for a lot of people, but I yeah. won't lie. Um, I've had to buy napkins and stuff like that. But um, as far as, you know, keeping it local food-wise, it, it, it's, really, it's really challenging. But, you know, in this area, uh, we have a lot of restaurants. You know, Sonoma is like gourmet heaven here. We've got, like, you know, all the different restaurants on every corner. And there right. are some really amazing chefs here. And what they've wow. done is um, a lot of them have donated their food to their employees that no longer are working. Or wow. they're um, doing uh, – some of them, most of them have closed, but then they did reopen to do curbside pickup. And I think that's pretty much how it is everywhere right now. But there are a lot of food trucks now, um, I've noticed. A lot of the restaurants have gotten food trucks, and what they're doing is they're taking their foods and they're, do, you know, getting very creative. And we are very farm to table here in Sonoma. Um, I myself have a garden, so... I'm really lucky that I'm able to go outside and get what I need, but, um, you know, for certain things. But, you know, for people that are out there right now that don't have jobs, don't have the money, can't get the money from the government, um, haven't gotten their stimulus checks yet, or um, whatever, you know, um, I think if you dial 211, on your cell phone, um, it will connect you to whatever is available in your area as far as food, um, you know, uh, essentials that you might need, um, such as toilet paper, shampoo, stuff like that, people that need things. Um, I think it is 211 well, on the phone, yeah. isn't it, Robert? What we, were you going to say, we, Robert? I, I don't know. I would say that we've hit the cocktail hour here in my town, so uh, um, there, there are essential things calling me. <laughs> oh well, we're gonna let you go. Oh, listen, I Holly, you. I got to bring something up. Uh, just one fast thing. Oh, go ahead. Our friend Rory Block, the famous, very famous blues guitarist, woman blues guitarist, mm-hmm. is having a thing tonight on talk. We're talking about a Facebook Live at seven thirty. She'll be playing a set mm-hmm. of. Seven, six famous blues songs, and it's on tonight at 7.30 Eastern Standard Time on Facebook Live. So I just want everybody to know oh, about cool. that. Yeah. Great. Okay. Great. And then what I wanted to do is we're going to end with Desperados Waiting for a Train. Thank Great. you very much, Robert. Right. And oh, Robert, my God. I love thank it. you Let for me just point you to and the, and the, in the song you're about to hear, gonna, I just want to point you yeah. to the uh, – guitar solo when it comes up because to me it, it's this great obscure Memphis guitarist named Lee Baker who and uh, okay. this is one of his best solos and it sounds like his guitar is strung with barbed wire just give it a listen when you hear it 
and oh really? Wow, that's really Holly interesting because I Spencer. noticed the song. Yeah. Awesome. Thank Thanks you so for much for being on. here. Yeah. Oh, we love you, man. And Come on everyone, back when you finish your book. <laughs> it's Friday. It's Friday, and I'm afraid to say don't drink and drive because we know you're not going to be driving. But I'm I'm afraid to say don't drink. But I am going to say don't drink because but you're going off for happy hour, and that's cool. But <laughs> if you're driving, if you're driving, don't drink because there are a lot of um of our first responders and I want to thank all oh my gosh I forgot this and I know if you want to hang up Robert that's cool I'll, I'll play the song <laughs> but I want to say no <laughs> I know your cocktail hour is calling you let me guess yes. um, what do you wait wait let's guess what Robert's going to drink he said cocktail so I know it's Whoa. not wine and I'm in wine country <laughs> wait a minute and you said you said bourbon earlier um uh, Whiskey sour, or um, I just I just pour myself a, a nice scotch and sip it neat. Ooh, okay, that's nice. That's good. But I'm not opposed to bourbon, you know? and I'm not opposed to wine. I want to make it clear that it, that if the fans want to throw bottles from the audience <laughs> to the stage, wine, beer, bourbon, scotch are all accepted. Hey, listen, I live on a vineyard, and I don't drink, so that's pretty funny. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I feel for you, um, girl. I feel for you. Know, you. No, but you know what's really increased here is there's a lot of cannabis um, uh, drivers yes. delivering, a lot of deliveries. So if you're in an Throw area, you know, <laughs> this is yeah. <laughs> stay home. Like. But wait, I missed the part that I wanted to say. I want to thank all the first responders and the nurses and all the people that are out there yeah. helping people and really dedicating, spending hours and hours and hours in the hospitals and, and giving so much time to everyone and helping. We really want to say we appreciate it. And I know they're starting to do drive-through testing stations. And for everyone out there, I Really, really want to say, if you want to get out of this uh, um, quarantine that we're in, go through, get a test. I'm not saying you have to, but I'm saying that it will probably get us through really a lot quicker if you go get tested. Because what they're trying to do is try to follow the curve right now. And I've been doing a lot of research, and um, that's what I'm reading, is that people... It, the sooner they get tested and we know what's really going on, then the sooner we can all start a little bit nor, normalcy in our life. With that, I'm going to play Desperado is Waiting for a Train. And you enjoy that uh, nice uh, scotch that you're drinking. Good choice. We're Don't very jealous. Good choice. Very jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, everybody. Thank guys. Thanks for me. Hey, take care. Oh, no, please. Y'all come back now, you hear? <laughs> I don't know where. I don't That's know great. Where. I love that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that was great.
I'd play the Red River Valley He'd sit there in the kitchen, Lord, and cry Run his fingers through seventy years of living Wonder why his every will ran dry Not just a kid, he always called me sidekick Like desperados waiting for a train Time that I could walk, he took me with him Just to drinking beer and playing 42 He taught me how to drive his car when he was too drunk too And he'd laugh and give me money for a girl And our life was like some old western movie Look out, old man. The son of a bitch is coming. 